it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond, and this is the long-awaited episode number 700 for October 3rd, 2021, and I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This is long-awaited because this week our guest is Bart Bouchatz, back with Programming by Stealth, 126 of X, where we start a whole new phase of Programming by Stealth. How are you doing today, Bart? I am doing great, actually, and uh, I just had a very successful cycle, despite the fact that the weather here has turned properly winter. Um, my uh, rain minimization algorithm worked perfectly. The, oh. The, the rain was in bands, right? So I was going to get wet, guaranteed to get wet. So the question was, can I minimize the wet and maximize the sun? So perpendicular versus parallel. So into the wind <laughs> on the windiest, most tree-lined back road I could find, punch through oh. the rain, give mm-hmm. it about 20 minutes, turn around and follow it home. And it worked perfectly. <laughs> I had sun for three quarters of my cycle. You really should publish an algorithm to, for people to follow. <laughs> I actually have a few depending on the weather. And I've got, it, it's like a game I play to entertain myself while it's cold and wet, but it, it's kind of fun. Anyway. <laughs> so we uh, waited for episode 700 because it was going to be this new phase, but it's 126 of X and it would have been good if we could do 125. Yeah, I, I tried to, I, I just figured out if it was 126 in hex instead of decimal, would that be interesting? Or if I put that in, converted it to hex, and I couldn't make it interesting. It, it is 126. It's, I don't know. Yeah, no, I don't know how to make it interesting. So someone, there must be something mathematically cool about that number, uh, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> well, at least the show is going to be interesting because I know I've been, uh, I've been itching for us to start this new phase. Yeah. And, uh, and finally, we're here. We are here. Um, and really, this entire episode is about setting up my thinking for where we're going next and how we're going there, because it is going to be a phenomenally large change. But I just want to stress that the, the, the aim, the philosophy is not changing, right? The reason we started this series together was to try ease people into programming, sort of sneak them into programming in such a way that it wouldn't be overwhelming and turn people off. Uh, so we don't right. want to intimidate people. We don't want people to be slaves to their computers. We want to encourage people to assert control and make the computer work for us. And, you know, taming the terminal was, was, was a start in that direction. And, you know, being good on the terminal helps you control your computer. But programming is like the terminal 211, right? <laughs> right, right. So that is still what we want to do. Um, but we're going to do it in a very different way for a couple of reasons. Um, I mean, one of the reasons is we're just so much further along. And the other reason is, uh, well, we get to the other reason a bit later on. So I want to take stock of where we are and then describe where we want to go and how we want to get there. Um, now, we're still going to keep with this, what you've been doing all along, which is you're teaching us to program, not teaching us JavaScript. Right. In fact, JavaScript we're doubling is a means down. to an end. We're doubling down on that, really. Um, so it, I promised you that we were learning generic concepts, but I, I told you that I didn't show you that. But there's going to... Okay. Be, well... You used a lot of words to say the concepts, and it, I, I was like, no, I just want to know what to type, Bart, and you would never do just that. You would instead say, no, we got to understand what this is and what it means in the bigger picture. Yeah, and that's a skill that I'm hoping is in the bank, but we haven't gotten payoff for that. But we will. True. Okay. So that is, uh, I am hoping that what we'll, that you will discover is that you're... Someone has a recently out book called Getting From Zero to One. And the basic thing is if you learn to do something once, learning a second way is much easier. 
So getting from no programming languages to one programming language is hard. Getting from one to mm-hmm. two, way easier. Two to three is even easier. Well, so still. this, it, de- it depends. So is this like I've learned French and now I'm going to learn Italian? They're both romance languages or am I now going to go learn Hebrew? Well, they're both actually, the, it's, it's closer to the romance languages uh, because er, both PHP, which is one of the places Object we're oriented. going, is a C style language and JavaScript is a C style language. Okay. Okay. All right. So it, it should be easier than starting from zero. A heck of a lot. And even if we were to go to a bizarre programming language like Objective-C or Lisp or something, it would still be easier because even though the syntax would be like completely different, the ideas are the same, right? What is a loop? Well, a loop is a way of iterating. You know, what is a function? It's a way of, of taking a bit of code and giving it a name. Even in languages with weirdo syntax, that still stands to you. Okay, so I guess let's start by just reminding ourselves what we've done. Basically, what we've done now is we've covered the client side of the web, right? So we've learned the three core languages that drive the client side of the internet. HTML to say what is on a page. CSS to say how it looks. And JavaScript to say what it does. We've also learned a bunch of third-party libraries. jQuery, Bootstrap, is.js, moment.js, numeral.js. We've learned specific technologies like Git, Chamois. But those specifics aren't really the important thing. The important thing is that these are all the core, is a core concept. So this isn't web programming by stealth, it's programming by stealth. So the valuable stuff's going to stay with us, right? What is the difference between syntax and semantics? Those kind of skills, they're with us forever, right? So... In the show notes, I have an if statement that is syntactically perfect, but semantically horse poop, right? If four divided by zero triple equals boogers, console.log, why does this line never print? (laughs) It's perfectly valid JavaScript. It's nonsense, right? That is the difference in syntax and semantics. All the stuff we've heard, like variables, types, operators, conditionals, loops, functions, objects, events, exceptions... All of those concepts are not JavaScript specific, right? Every language doesn't have every one of those, but every one of those exists in loads of other languages. Just different syntaxes, right? So the concepts are going to stay with us. They're, they're, They're what really matters. And we've also picked up a lot of soft skills that I haven't been calling out and bopping you over the head with, but I have been trying to nurture all along too. So one of the soft skills is the ability to read documentation, which I've been nudging along by, you know, bringing in stuff like numeral.js and moment.js and leaving more and more of it as an exercise to the listener over time, right? We spent a lot of time meticulously going through jQuery. We did not spend a lot of time meticulously going through moment.js. Right. And and I would like to say to the uh, other students in the class, I don't know about you guys, but kicking and screaming dragged me into reading documentation. And I have finally gotten to the point where now I can kind of understand what they're saying in the Mozilla documentation. That Uh was the one that always, I I would get to it and I would throw my hands up and go, nope, I'm out. And I wouldn't even try to read it because I rarely could understand it. But after 400 times trying to read ones, I I would say I'm at about 60% chance I'm going to figure out what I need from it. Well, that's good because the Mozilla docs are, they cover a lot. They're, they're, they're expansive. Yeah, too much. Yeah. I want an example and I want the example to look exactly like what I'm trying to do. <laughs> you should have thought of what I wanted and made everything that way. Yeah. 
Um, and then exactly. the other soft skill that I know we clashed over a little bit, but I very much went out of my way to make sure everyone has the vocabulary to describe the problem so you can search. Yeah, I fought you on that too, as I really <laughs> You did, but I, nonetheless, I do believe after 125 episodes, I think all of us are much better armed to describe our problem, which means, you know, our friendly Google or Bing or DuckDuckGo or whoever has a much better chance of helping us because we can say what's wrong. Right. So those yeah, soft skills yeah, are really important. So... The last thing that I've been focusing on nearer to the end of this series is to build up what I call a developer toolkit, right? Because a real-world code project needs a lot more than the code to make it go. So we've been building out our toolkit, and the most obvious thing in our toolkit we've built out is version control. I sort of bopped you over the head when we got to version control. But that isn't actually the only bit of the toolkit we've been building up. We have also looked at documentation a little bit, we have a lot more to do there. And we've looked at testing a little bit, but we haven't exercised that muscle in quite some time. So that definitely needs to be revisited. But those are the tools that make it possible to build code that is big enough to do something powerful and robust enough to remain viable for years, right? Because code code needs to be maintained. It's like code is like a garden. It's 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 not like a statue. You don't build it and it stays there. It's much more like a garden. It needs tending. And unless you have a... It's not the kind of vegetables you go out or flowers you put out and then next year you just tear them out and put in new ones. Well, I mean, you could do that, right? There's, there's, that happens a lot, right? You write once, you know, read never. Um, but, you know, a lot of code that lasts a longer time need, it needs to be tended and cared for. And a good toolkit makes that easy and a bad toolkit makes that a pain in the you-know-what. So while we have clearly learned a lot in 125 episodes, like when I've described it all there, that's a lot. There is also a lot more we can learn, right? So HTML, we, so far, basically, we've had one example of every concept. So one markup language, HTML, one styling language, CSS, one one example of how to do variables, loops, objects, events, which is JavaScript, and one version control system, which is Git. But we're going to start consolidating those concepts and we're going to start building out our developer toolkit. We're going to add tools and we're going to see more ways of doing the same concepts. But there's also loads of things we haven't even come across once yet. So while we are going to consolidate, we're also going to expand. So it's sort of like like building out a pyramid. You know, we redo something we've done before, but we we broaden our base as well. And... The universe of building the foundation. Yeah, the universe of things we could do is really quite large. So (laughs) that makes it hard for you to figure out where to start. It doesn't, it it doesn't. Thankfully, by starting on the client side of the web, there's a really obvious next place to go because the web is a game of two halves and the second half is the server side, which we've been busy ignoring. Well, we're not going to ignore it anymore. So... And I don't understand it at all, by the way. I don't even I don't even know what goes on on the server side. Which is, yeah. I, I know stuff does. Exactly. So that is, that is, to be honest, that is one of the most important concepts of phase two, is, is that jump through the, through the looking glass into the other side. And it's a very different place, right? So because the client side is the place where the users are, it has to be really highly standardized. So you have the W3C defining the rules, right? There is one markup language, which is HTML, and it's been defined to it in an inch of its life. There is one styling language, which has a really tight spec. 
you know, JavaScript is now very tightly specified with ECMA. The server side is completely different because of this magical thing called the common gateway interface that just defines a bunch of rules that says a web server has to take its input like this and provide its output like this. And the web server can do anything to get from input to output. Anything. Oh, really? Really? I did not know that. I thought it would be more structured than the client side. No, the only rules are how you get information to the server and how the server sends it back, which is why you can write server-side in Java, JavaScript, C-sharp, Ruby, Python, PHP. You can write it in an assembly language if you're Steve Gibson. You can write it in Perl if you're me. Like, the reason you can write it in anything is because the common gateway interface defines this must come. This is how it comes in, and this is how you shall give me the answer. And literally, how it gets done is 100% up to the developer. Well. So I, I, I can see how that makes sense, because as long as you have the input and output of a black mm-hmm. box and those are consistent, you've got, I mean, I'm thinking of an electrical circuit where you've got to have these inputs and outputs and there's electronics magic happens in between. As long as you've got that interface defined, then it really shouldn't Correct. matter. But if, but if you've got to have every browser be able to talk to that, then that's got to be consistent and be done one way. Yeah, exactly. And so we've you, seen you this can't in action. require someone to know which one they're doing on their local machine. It just has to just work. Yeah. So we've seen this in action because when we've been doing Ajax stuff, talking to servers, we know that the way you send input is through form, you know, question mark, very name of variable equals value. That's the common gateway interface. Yeah. Oh, it is. That is, oh, okay. that is part of. So the, we touched it. Yeah, that is part of the CGI. We just didn't name it, right? So... We've, we've seen it as a black box. We've treated it as a black box. Well, it's time to peek inside because there's cool stuff in that black box. Lots of cool stuff in that <laughs> black box. And one of the things that a pretty much every web server has to do that makes it different to the client is it has to store data. That is kind of what we rely on the server to do, right? Well, what makes Gmail different to your clock app is that Gmail has to store your email. So the next time you come back to Gmail, it still has your email. Okay. Right. Your clock app is just calculating something without any permanent storage. It's just, I will do this thing for you now. But in your clock app, you have people store their data of where they are. In a cookie. Which is okay, the, so which is a client which side. Which is the thing. tiniest little bit the browser can remember. The browser's pretty forgetful. But that could have been done. Could, that could have been, yes, pretty forgetful, but that could have been done on the server side. Yeah, so the, if we were doing it for reals, the, the you would sign up, you'd create an account, and you would store all of your settings in your account, and then whenever you logged in, everything would be just as you left it. But how does the server remember who you are, what you want, sure. what you did, right? It's storing data, and it has to store that in some way. And I mean, one of the simplest things a server can do is simply write some files to the hard disk, right? Dear server, store these five JPEG files for me. Okay, I'll put them on disk. Uh, but that's pretty basic. You know, the next step up is like, dear server, save this structured information. So maybe the server writes out a JSON file where it has some information in a structured format. And really, the bread and butter of websites for 20 kabillion years until Twitter broke the mold was was um, a so-called relational database, which is queried through the standard querying language, or SQL. And you could pay Oracle five kabillion dollars, uh, an arm, a leg, and a kidney, and you could get the Oracle database, or you could go open source and get MySQL. Um, but, you know, that was the bread and butter of the internet. But 
When you have millions of simultaneous users, something as complex as a relational database doesn't scale and you end up with the fail whale. As, as you may remember the early days of Twitter where it would just fall over in a heap. I do. And the uh-huh. solution to that was to throw out the traditional database and replace it with a modern so-called NoSQL database, stuff like MongoDB and CouchDB. And that, that that's kind of how places like Twitter were able to scale. And so... A traditional database is oh so fastidious, right? It's it's got this thing called the ACID criteria, which means every transaction must be atomic, it must be consistent. Can't remember what all the letters are right now. My database lecturer would be very cranky with me that I can't remember all the ACID criteria, but basically the data's guaranteed that everyone seeing it sees exactly the same thing at exactly the same time. If I start a transaction, it's guaranteed to finish or all of it gets rewound. It never ends up in an inconsistent state. Like a, a relational database is an amazing thing, but it's really resource intensive. And does it really matter if I post a tweet and some people see it now and some people see it in 10 seconds? Does that actually matter? No, it doesn't. So the NoSQL databases are like, we'll become consistent eventually. So they're basically like, we'll accept consistency, but we don't want it now. We'll take it later. And so that gives you this whole modern NoSQL approach, um, which is kind of interesting. And then even more recently, we now have these amazingly fast key value pair caches where web servers just throw name value pairs into stuff like Redis where they can store it really quickly and access it really quickly and then worry about permanent state later. You know, we'll, we'll write it to a traditional database later. So there's so much going on there uh, that we could dive into. We'll, realistically, I think we'll keep it to MySQL for the foreseeable future. But, you know, know that, you know, NoSQL and, Red, and key value caches, they exist too. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of new concepts that we kind of need to learn because we're, we're writing bigger things. Right? We're writing code that's not a toy or a gimmick. We're writing code that solves real problems for us. Well, that means we actually need our toolbox to be a little bit more filled out, right? We got away with just a Phillips head screwdriver and a hammer. Well, maybe we need a few more advanced tools. Maybe <laughs> we need a ratchet set and maybe some, some of those fancy hexadecimal screws and stuff like that, right? We need a bit more. So, so I don't think they're called hexadecimal. They're not hexadecimal. No, they're, they're, they're just we hex. call them Allen keys, but I think that may be a European thing. No, yeah, okay. we call them both. I wonder and if hex, Allen was a guy. Or, yeah, just means six sided. Yeah. I, wonder, oh. I wonder, is it an eponym? It's A L L E N. Anyway. So, one of the first things I'm very keen to introduce into the mix here is something called a code linter. Because if you're share, if you're working together on code, you all need to agree that it's four spaces, not a tab to indent, or two spaces and not a tab, or one tab and no spaces. And a linter sort of forces you, to, well, yeah, no, it forces you, depending on how aggressive you let your linter be. But a linter allows you to express in a configuration file the style your code must meet. And it will basically tell you, you're doing something I've been told is not allowed. You're using a variable you haven't declared. That's valid JavaScript, but I've been told you're not allowed to take that shortcut. You have if statements without curly braces. That's valid JavaScript, but it's really prone to error. So I have been told to slap you on the wrist for that. And it basically gives you a way to say, Hmm. this is how I want the code to be. So it's a way of, as a team, 
So my only experience with the linter was when uh, Helma and I played around with uh, adding one to code I'd already written for a long time, and it basically wreaked complete and utter havoc on my code, and I couldn't get anything to work, and I wasn't willing to spend 16 hours figuring out everything I had done wrong according to that linter's rules, and so we had to unpeel it, which was problematic. Um, but if you do it the right way, is the linter constantly checking as you're writing yeah. or when you save or how does it, it – must wait till you save. Uh, no. So if you are writing in an editor that is aware of your linter, so if you're using something like VS Code and you're using a linter like uh-huh. ESLint, there's actually integration between the two. And literally, you know the way VS Code syntax highlights for you, right? If, if, you're, mm-hmm. if you're typing an if statement, sure. it immediately knows, ah, yes, if I'll make that bold and white or whatever. Well. If you have a linter configured that's compatible with VS Code, it will also give you a little a little yellow warning mark in the left margin to say, by the by, this line, not happy with it. See, yeah, I have a feeling I'm going to that that sweater is going to itch on me because I've I've often got code that I haven't got working yet. And I know it's not working yet. And I know it's not written correctly, but I haven't figured it out yet. I don't think, I think you'll find very, very quickly it doesn't itch. Okay, we'll see. It, it'll nudge you into developing the right habits. And once you have the habits, you won't think about it. Because... Okay, but I I rarely have things working for long lengths of time. (laughs) Yeah, but a linter isn't looking at the really big stuff, right? It's looking at the little stuff like, um, you know, I mean, one of the ways a linter can really help is it can spot errors that will be runtime errors, but it'll spot them before you run the code. Like, you said this was a const Hmm. x, but you've just given it a new value down here. That is going to fail. Well, thank you, linter. That saved me the hassle of finding that out the hard way. So... It okay. has your back All too. Right. It's not only being critical. It's it's both. I mean, it's like you know, be nice. Oh, by the way, that will kill you later. So it's yeah, you know, and that's one of the tools I definitely want to get into because we're going to be working together on code, and a linter is a really good way to keep stuff right. What you don't want is to do a git pull and find that there are five thousand changes, all of which are that someone's editor replaced every four spaces with a tab. And then you hit save and your editor saves all those tabs with four spaces and they do a pull and they get 5,000 changes. And in reality, what you've done is changed, you know, a plus to a minus. But it shows up in Git as 5,000 okay. changes because you don't agree on the way the code should be spaced. Okay. Okay. Uh, where am I in my show notes? Uh, testing, we need, to, we need to revisit again. And the other big thing we're missing is package managers. And the reason we're missing it is not because it's not important and not because I haven't wanted to do it, but because JavaScript was in transition. And I didn't want to teach the old way because I knew there was a shiny new horizon getting close. And I think, I think it's here. I think we can finally not do things the bad way and just skip like we did with a lot of JavaScript stuff, we can skip the evils of how it used to be and how complicated it was and jump straight to the modern way. So ES6 brought with it a new definition for packages in JavaScript, modules they're called. And it's taken a while for every browser to get support, but we're there. So I can now just teach you the right way. So I don't understand what it's replacing. What were we doing before that would change to package managers? We weren't doing anything. We know how to say Bruce Spade is... Bruce Space install from which is a package manager. Right, but that's a package at that so okay, so that is managing terminal commands. Well a package manager in Javas No, it's using it's using a package okay, manager. Okay, sorry, Brew is a package manager that is managing terminal commands. Well, with JavaScript okay. modules, you can have your code 
automatically pull in stuff like jQuery in an organized and sensible way, instead of you having to go and actually stick that script tag in. Oh, okay. So you don't put in the CDN link. Instead, you do a package and then, yeah. okay. Yeah. All right. Trust me, it's a much nicer world. Mm. And the other place it really helps is if you want to publish code to share with someone else, you don't want to have it that if I name a variable X, well, then no one who uses my code can use a variable X because they'll have a fight, right? The package manager will allow you to have completely independent namespaces that I can have a variable called X and it will work fine. And when you import it into your code, it'll be a different X and they won't have a fight and you can use my code without breaking yours. Which which is, again, okay. good. Uh, and so we definitely need that because, as I said, you know, we're going to be writing ourselves one of those. Um, and we also haven't even looked outside of the browser, right? There's so much more than just the internet out there. There's automation scripts, command line tools. Oh, yeah, and GUI apps. So there's a lot of places we could end up. I, you know, we're not racing to those all of those immediately, but th- there's a pretty big universe of possibility here. I think it's fair to say. Right. So the next question I sort of I want to definitely want to share with, with with the listeners is why are we doing a big change now? Right. Because I kind of think things are working. Right. I, I think we're making. I, I particularly the Git stuff. I thought went really well. I thought that was a really fulfilling way of tackling a complicated topic. Because Source control is hard. Right, right. And it's in a nice, it's wrapped in a bow yeah, pretty well. Source control is hard, and a lot of people find it very confusing. And frankly, I think together we covered that really well. So. Yes, I think I was fundamental to the understanding. Honestly, of that. you were. And I know you disagree with me. <laughs> I always this, love how you. Honestly, genuinely, you are. Right? <laughs> it's, it's the two of us together make this work. Okay. I really mean that. Okay. So if I had infinity time. I just keep going. I, I just keep this model going until we've covered everything, which would be forever, really, because <laughs> there's so much we could do. But we kind of don't have infinite time. And so we do all have to make trade-offs in life. And the simple fact is that programming by cell takes a lot of time to prepare. And for the last three years, I think... Pretty much all of my nerding out time that I'm not spending on my own podcast have got into programming by stealth. And I used to do lots of stuff in my nerding out time. Uh, I used to do a bunch of open Ah. source tools and my favorite digital child, because unlike real children, you're allowed to have favorites in the digital world. They don't care. My favorite digital child is (laughs) HSXK Pass WD. It has been abandonware since we started programming by stealth. It is... It is dying. Well, not abandoned by customers. Not, no, it's not. A, Can I describe what it is, just in case somebody doesn't know? Sure. Just because some people may not, uh, we talk about a lot on the NoSilicast, but we really haven't referred to it much here, is this is a password generator tool that built that Bart built that uh, checks the entropy of how you're creating the password to see to help you decide on password strength. And it's a really cool tool. It's highly effective. I use it five times a week but when he says abandonware it's it's he wrote it before he learned bootstrap before bootstrap so existed. it's it's so far back that it, didn't it really exist back then yeah oh it, it didn't even exist it's like a fossil okay. of the internet before okay. responsive web design was a thing yeah yeah it's it's a little tricky on the iphone you have to do a lot of pinching to zoom to be able to see things and everything it's still fully functional but it's not the design that you want I do. And it's actually coming to a crisis point for a whole bunch of reasons. So 
it's either mm. I let it die or I f- actually do this. I mm. actually reinvigorate it. So at the moment, it's it's actually running on version one of the Perl module. So there is a version two of the Perl module, which is what the command line tool runs on. But the website was never updated to version two. So it's actually running on like proper ancient code. And that code is so ancient, I can't get it to go on my modern web server. So I am I am paying $15 a month every month for a web server that's completely obsolete and is about to be pulled away from under me to run code I can't get to work on a modern server. That website mm. is in crisis. If I don't get it off that code okay. base, it is going to fall off the internet when my hosting company says, no, we are not running that infrastructure anymore. Your server is gone. And then it's just going to be gone. So it has to be fixed. Um, and also, frankly, it, the website needs to become responsive. I use my iPhone all the time. It drives me nuts. If it's driving me nuts, it must be driving everyone else nuts. So it just <laughs> has to be done. Either I, I admit the fact that this thing I love is going away or I fix it. And I'm not prepared to admit it's going away. So not if you can have your cake and eat it. Right. Too. So I don't want to get rid of programming by stealth because this has been really like i've really enjoyed doing this with you this has been such a fun journey to go on together and so phase two is going to bring those two things together we are going to use this replatforming of xkpasswd as a learning as sort of the scaffolding around which to hang our learning so it's not going to be a worked example most of the time. It will be from time to time. It'll be a useful real-world touch point. But it's not going to be that. But it is going to be a way of giving us a path through all of the possible things we don't know. It's like, the things we're going to learn are exactly the things I need right now to do this. Just completely by coincidence. Okay. I need to remind myself. <laughs> I need to learn ES6 modules. I don't know them yet because I know they're coming, but now they're finally here. So I need to learn that. So we're going to do that together. I need to re-familiarize myself with unit testing badly. So we're going to do that together. I need Mm. to finally learn how to use a linter because I know I should. It's one of those things, do as I say, not as I do. I've been saying for years (laughs) that everyone should use a linter. I haven't been doing it. So we're going to learn that together. And so... Like, I now know a lot more Git than I used to, which has proved to be really handy for me in lots of ways. I'm going to use what I need to do XKPassWD to drive the learning we do together. Now, what I, re- what I love about this is that as you've been describing each of those pieces, we have subject matter experts yes. in our community willing to, and very willing and verbal to st- standing by waiting to help you. When you start talking about unit test, you know Jill is going to be all over us to make sure exactly. we do that right. When you get into doing ESLint, we already d- talked about it. Helma is going to be there for us. And I think on the, on the back end, we're going to be yes. doing PHP, right? And we've got, we've got Ed Tobias, who is a PHP, uh, a PHP guy. He says he's not an expert, but he writes everything he does More in PHP. More expert than me, so I think he's sure. probably better than he claims. And 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 has time to study and research and help us and is standing by waiting, exactly. hoping to get to help. So we've got those three pieces. We've got a support staff among – and the rest of you listening, stand up Correct. and help Correct. So too, I have right? a whole big section later for how people can help. So – what we need, what needs to happen in the in the to, to make XKPassWD survive, is that the old Perl library has to be thrown away and replaced with a modern JavaScript library. 
So the brains of XKPassWD have to be translated. It's going to be the same functions with the same function names, but instead of them being full of Perl code, they need to become full of JavaScript code. And they need to have... Oh, there's another person who can help with that. Uh, uh, Dorothy. I'm pretty sure I remember Dorothy as a Perl person and has learned JavaScript through programming by stealth. So she might be able to help with that too. But... Basically, what we end up doing is really a reversing. So the documentation exists and defines all the classes and all the functions. So what actually is going to be needed is taking the documentation first and then filling in the code to make the documentation factual, (laughs) which is kind of an interesting way to go, Mm. right? Normally you write the code. So it'll be the translation language. Yeah, so anyway, it'll be interesting. So what we need to start is by creating a modern a modern ESX package for XKPassWD. So that means learning how ESX packages work for me. Then when we have the package, we need to make the web interface not suck on mobile devices, which is a really good excuse to learn Bootstrap 5, which is very much on my to-do list. So we've been working in Bootstrap 4, and now Bootstrap 5 has arrived. Okay. Yeah, and it looks nice, actually, but I don't know anything about it yet because I haven't had time to look at it. So we need to do that. And at that stage, what we have is XKPassWD not broken, but no better than it is today. But everyone has been screaming at me for years to let me save my own presets. Let me define a preset, give it a name that makes sense to me, and save it. And when I come to XKPassWD.net, I get my presets as the default. And other people have said, your dictionary's decent, but frankly, I want to be able to include all of those funny words from Harry Potter in it, or all of the words from Star Wars, or I want my own custom dictionaries, basically, because the words that I will find memorable are a much bigger set than what you have programmed into your site. It's like, well, that's actually a really good point. So we need XKPassWD to develop a brain, to develop a memory, to develop the concept of an account and preferences and settings. It needs a backend. So we're going to do that in PHP. And most conveniently, the PHP language has just gone through an amazing new change to make it way nicer, PHP 8. And that happened last November. So PHP 8 is now stable enough for us to use. So we get to skip some really horrible stuff in early versions of PHP. And we get to jump straight (laughs) to shiny new PHP 8. So our timing could not be better, frankly. It sounds like we won't get to PHP for a very long time, though, if we're going to learn JavaScript packages, Bootstrap 5, and then get to PHP. Um, it sounds like a year away. If it's a year away, I have a problem, because I don't think my server has a year of life left in it. I think it has to be quicker. Okay, so we'll have to be learning briskly then. I, I think we may. Um, so okay. it'll be interesting to see how that goes. We also may have to parallelize things. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, but yeah, no, I, I don't think it Are is. Are you tricking you us think. into doing this for you? Is that where we're going? It's not, actually. It's <laughs> not. Um, Just by stealth. <laughs> doing it for is definitely not the right word, but there are definitely lots of ways in which we can help each other. We'll get to that. Wait, wait, I've got a better analogy. So we are no longer taking Programming 101. We aren't entry-level CS students. We are now your graduate assistants. I was going to go with placement student, but yeah, that works too. Grad student works too. (laughs) I don't know what a placement student is. Our software engineering students have to go visit a real world company for six months. 
and actually oh, okay. do real software okay. engineering for a while. It scares the pants off them, okay. but in a good way. Yeah. So the plan is built around six milestones and five and six may very well change order or not happen at all. But one is definitely, definitely the most important one. Replatform crypt colon colon HSXK passwd, which is a Perl module, into a JavaScript ES6 module, probably named HSXK passwd.js. So to do, I always forget what does HS stand for? Haystacks, because I married Steve Gibson's Haystacks password Haystacks idea with the funny cartoon from XKCD. So it really is the two ideas united together. So I don't think it's fair to not give Steve Gibson half the credit even though the cartoon is funnier. I have so much trouble saying it and remembering it, though. HS, XK, PassWD. Yeah, and because the go. website's just XK, PassWD, it's, yeah, anyway. Um, so we need to learn ES6 modules. We need to learn the Node Package Manager, which you are going to love, by the way, because the Node Package mm. Manager lets us get our developer tools for free. Well, close to free. For easy. Let's us get our developer tools for easy. Uh, and one of the okay. first easies we're going to take on that is ESLint, which is our uh, the code linting. We're also going to get, for cheap or for easy, our documentation generator, which is probably going to be one called documentation.js. It has me very excited. We're going to okay. also get our test-driven development much easier than we had it before, thanks to NPM. And this is one where I, I don't know what we're doing yet. Either Jasmine, Mocha, QUnit, or Jest. Those four are equally appealing to me right now, and I'm very, very, very slightly leaning towards Jest. But hmm. it's by Facebook. Even though we we learned QUnit. We did, but QUnit is a bit languishy on the modern JavaScript features. Okay. Um, Jest, Jest, Frank, Mocha is like the big daddy that's been around forever. But Jest seems to have all the energy at the moment, and it's really nice. And it's what Facebook okay. used to make their site go. But they're Facebook. <laughs> it's like, should I let my prejudice against Facebook stop me from the fact that this product is... But they're just a tool. It's a tool that's good enough to make Facebook go, with all of the resources of Facebook driving it, and a very active open source community. Yeah. So it probably is the right answer, but my brain is still going, but it's Facebook. <laughs> But it isn't from Facebook, is it? Well, it's an open source project spun out of Facebook. So to be honest, they're the driving force behind it. Oh, it, it is. Yeah. Okay. But then again, like Twitter is the driving force behind a whole bunch of libraries too. Like it's Where stuff comes from doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily a problem. Doesn't make the libraries bad. No, and in fact, if it's someone who has a lot of money, it can make them very bloody good. And okay. Facebook definitely has that. Um, we need to replatform the website to Bootstrap 5. So that's going to be fun because Bootstrap 5 is really cool. And then we also need to learn... Now, why do you call it replatform? Don't you mean just do the layout? Well... Is that what you mean? So, to, okay, well, I would say that is... I guess I'm starting to throw in some software engineering jargon, but when you're basically piggybacking off a whole bunch of other people's work, that's a platform. And so I think... I think... It's so long since I looked at the code. I think we're based off a really old version of jQuery as the only platform at the moment. So redoing it built on top of bootstrap is a replatforming from almost no platform hmm. might okay we'll learn what that means when we get there just means your platform is the tool is the third party tools you're building on so bootstrap 5 gives oh, okay. us instead of starting from nothing we're starting from bootstrap bootstrap 5 
So that's our platform. Okay. Okay. We're also going to learn a very, very powerful tool that's going to take the coolness of NPM and just magically give us stuff for free called Webpack. Again, it's hard to explain why we want it, but by the time we get to here, you're going to want it. Um, trust me, Webpack rocks. Um, and then, then comes the stuff that I am most looking forward to doing together, which is through the looking glass. And we start the black box gets opened up and we shine a giant big torch in. And so we learn about the common gateway interface. We learn about a web server. Not quite sure if we're going to be Apache people or Nginx people because uh, thankfully um, MAMP and WAMP and all of those things now give you the choice of Nginx or Apache. So we can actually have either. And I kind of like Nginx better. But anyway. So back you up a little bit. This step where you start talking about common gateway interface and web servers, that's that's the part of uh, adding the new capabilities of allowing the custom configurations and dictionaries. Exactly. So that's the point where XK Passively develops a brain, develops a backend for the first time ever. And it's our way of learning what the hell a web server is for. And that's what we'll be doing in PHP 8? PHP 8. Yeah, I've made that choice today. I, I spent a bit of time reading up on it, and I really like PHP 8. It's been a long... I The last time I was a PHP programmer first, like when PHP was my go-to language, was PHP 3, and it was frankly a terrible language back then. But PHP 8 is really nice. I really, I really like what I'm reading. It made me very excited. Uh we're also going to be doing documentation generation in PHP and PHP doc, which is actually much more mature than the JavaScript stuff. So that'll be a nice, easy one. And then we get to do relational databases. Probably going to start with the single most amazing piece of open source software on planet Earth that almost no one realizes is making half the world go, SQLite. This is a database server without a server. Mm. It has all the power of SQL, only it doesn't need a server. It is what is storing preferences on every app that doesn't use plists. It is, it is just powering stuff everywhere. SQLite is probably the single most used piece of open source software no one knows about. It is amazing. And then we can graduate with all those skills to the more famous or more, more well-known, shall we say, database servers. Either MariaDB, which is the free-from-Oracle port of MySQL, or maybe PostgreSQL, which is sort of the... The big boy pants of open source database servers. It's basically as powerful as full on Oracle, but free and open source. So I haven't quite decided. So we're going to learn relational databases too in this phase. Oh heck yeah! This is a this is a big bite. I'm seeing this as a 100 installments. You know, series. Okay. So points one and yeah. two. I want to. I know we have to do quite quickly because my server is going to literally die. But point three is meaty. Point three. Point, okay. You know, By the time we're done with point two, you're you're up and running. Yeah, exactly. Once point two is done, could, the, the pressure's okay. off. We can go much more back to okay. our old way of doing things. Um, and there's okay. so much fun to be had in here, right? And <laughs> yeah, your eyes are are all lit up as you're going. And then we're going to do this. We're going to do this. You look all excited. Well, yeah, because relational databases are are one of the. They're such a big tool. Like they just make. And in terms of scratching your own itch, in terms of being able to make the computer solve real problems for you, an understanding of databases just takes it up a whole other level. If you, like, I mean, you know the way Airtable or Cloud Tables has made your life so much better. Uh, Airtable, Airtable. Yeah, yeah, one of those, something to do with the sky. <laughs> um, 
That was where, that, that, for people who don't listen to the NoSilicast, that was the first time I ever used a database where I understand, I understood how it wasn't just a spreadsheet. I had never really used a, a database, but Airtable taught it to me. So I finally Good. appreciate that they exist. I still don't understand them very well, though. So looking forward to that. Yeah. Well, in the same way that Airtable sort of expands the possibilities of what you can do, a database knowledge just makes so many things open to you, especially, frankly, if you if you remember SQLite exists. It's amazing. Um, at that stage, we're probably ready to port the XKPASSWD library to PHP so it can exist as two different languages. And then we can do a web services API, which gives us an excuse to learn RESTful APIs, which is basically every time we've been doing AJAX, like to get the currencies, that was a RESTful API. I didn't use those words, but that's what it was. When we were using an API to get the weather information, that was a RESTful API. And we also used an API to do geolocation based on IP addresses to help us get the weather information because I needed an excuse to chain two promises together. That was another RESTful API. So we've actually been using Mm. RESTful APIs, but well, if you can use them, you can write them. And wouldn't it be great to be able to use Ajax to just get a password? To just make XKPASSWD spit out a password based on your configuration files through an Ajax call? That'd be kind of useful. Yeah, I could see that well, being cool. Yeah. Also be useful if you combine it with the terminal command wget to allow you to script it from the command line. So again, mm. that's why you want to learn that. And then the last thing on my wish list is let's write an actual command line tool. Right now there exists a Perl-powered command line tool for HSXKPASSWD. It doesn't install on the Mac at the moment because the Perl library that it relies on is out of date and it's not my Perl library, it's someone else's. And I keep on assuming someone will fix it, but it hasn't happened yet. So actually it should be replaced. You know, Perl is, um, it pains me so horribly to say this, but Perl is dead. So it needs, that command line tool needs to be replatformed, if you'll excuse me using that jargon again. And frankly, I think it should go to JavaScript because Node.js lets you do command line JavaScript, which is A, something I want to teach you and B, really bloody cool. So that gives us JavaScript outside the browser, which is something we have not done. But again, five and six may mm-hmm. get reversed and they could be well down the road. The real meat and bones of this is in three. Like the, there is so much fun to be had in three. Just to be clear, so it won't be until three that we get to PHP. Cor- correct. Although so we aren't, we aren't on the on the brink of learning PHP yet. Well, okay. So put a pin in that for a moment, because we may be okay. brinkier than you think. Okay. So <laughs> one of the big changes that's going to happen is that the structure of the episodes is going to become a lot more fluid. So there are still going to be installments in the same format we're used to. So when I need to, when we come to introducing a new concept like modules, that's going to be just like what we've been doing before. Small self-contained examples, because otherwise the point will be lost, right? One of the things you, you mentioned, bear in mind, if you hide the example in a giant big code base, it'll be full of distractions and it'll be really hard to learn. So we're going to keep doing small little... Yeah, I- I, I want to talk about Bart and I are having a bunch of Skype lag, by the way, which is why you hear us talking with kind of out of phase here. But I'm, I'm going to squeeze in for a second. One of uh, we talked a little bit about this before uh, we went down this path. And what 
I have struggled with is when something Bart is teaching us, the example he's been building over time, and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so when I look at trying to learn this little piece, it's buried in all this other stuff that maybe I'm supposed to remember from the three weeks ago, or it's part of a huge example. I find those really difficult. So having bite-sized pieces whenever he can helps me understand. I don't know whether it helps others, but it's also for me a much better reference when I go back to say, wait, how do I do this mustache thing? I want to see, here's how you do a mustache, not here's a mustache inside of this massive application that we've written. So that's where he's going to try to keep us with some of these smaller bite-sized chunks as we're also building something much bigger. Exactly. So there's there's going to be those episodes. They're going to keep existing, but they're not going to be everything we do. They're going to be a thing we do. There's also going to be... I know for a fact we already have people who volunteered for this. You are going to hear voices who are not me on the show. So there are going to be times when I disappear oh. for a few weeks to get my head really stuck into, you know, getting something done on XK Pass WD, and you're going to hear voices who are not me explaining something to you. And the place that's... This is news to me right now, to the audience. Well, we've already I had... know this. We've already had people okay. volunteering to, to sort of be like teaching assistants, but the way I would see that working would be that someone would come on and say, how does PHP do variables? And that's probably two installments. So you guys can go off okay. and do two okay. installments of, well, how does PHP do variables? Meanwhile, I'm off writing some code to make XKPassWD work. So that's why I'm saying, just because Milestone 3 won't be finished until Milestones 1 and 2, doesn't mean that the learning won't be starting in advance. Okay. Right? So we're going to have, have visiting professors. Yeah, I guess I was going with guest lecturer, but visiting professor works perfectly well, right? And I am sort of hoping people will pipe up and say, I'd be delighted to visit. Um, so this is aspirational as, as, as much as anything else. But there's no reason why, when I need to take a week or two to focus on XA Passive D, that the learning should stop. And I, I think I it like actually would be nice to build up the PHP in little pieces. And to be ready for phase three, for milestone three, when we get there. And then the other mm-hmm. obvious thing that will happen is that there are going to be points. So software engineering is as important to making code to solve your problems as coding is. So I'm going to be making decisions in how, like, here is a technical problem. Here are my five possible ways of dealing with this. I have to pick one. How? How do I pick one? That's actually an episode, right? Hmm. How do you analyze a problem and how do you choose a solution? That is an episode. So there are going to be decision episodes. There's also going to be situations where there isn't a right answer, right? So particularly design choices. We could have this UI for choosing separators be like this or like this. There could easily be an hour's discussion in the pros and cons of each. And frankly, we might be asking the community to weigh in here. We need to find a way of asking users to tell Actually, us. Actually, I really like that idea. I like that idea of if if you ever come with, I don't, I haven't made a decision. Let's talk this through. I, I, I plan that, to that do that be because to me, the value of where XAPassWD can bring value to this conversation is because it's real. It's not, I usually spend a lot of time trying to imagine an example. But I'm going to just what just mm-hmm. I'm going to hit examples. They're just going to whether I like it or not. I'm going to hit example. I'm going to hit problems, and they're going to be opportunities mm-hmm. for us to have a discussion. And I'm hoping that we can pull the community the community in a lot more, where 
people can pipe up and say, I'm using the beta. I find it really confusing to do blah, blah, blah. And then I'm mm-hmm. hoping that opens up the conversation. Okay, so if this is confusing, how else could we do it? Do we change these radio buttons to a drop down, or maybe this drop down becomes radio buttons, and then when you click this button, you get a few extra options? I mean, there are so many different ways to skin you know, to to design a UI, and I am by no means the world's best UI designer. There is definitely wisdom in the crowd. And, and the other thing is. There's no such thing as the best UI designer either, because what looks to be obvious to you, somebody else comes in and goes, I can't see that button. I I didn't notice that. That didn't. And and you're like, well, it's right there. You just click that and click that and click that and you drop this down and it works. And, And to you, it looks like the obvious way to do it. But to somebody else, it doesn't. And and I will I will always get back to my example of talking to my buddy Niraj in web design, where we realized after working together for many years that I see in Cartesian coordinates and he sees in color. So he would say, click the blue box. And I would say, where is it? Or I would say to him, the button in the upper right hand corner, and he would say, what color is it? And so we see things differently and having it made more obvious by a community of people helping to make a decision, I think could be, we can't be right on our own. We can only be right as a collective. Correct. And, you know, in those kind of situations, it's probably the case that, well, actually, if you were to put this tiny little extra word in here, it would be so much clearer to these 25% of people. And then you end up in a situation where, it was already working for this group of people, and now it's also working for that group of people. Well, hey, that's better. That's mm-hmm. much better, right? Yeah. The yeah. other thing is, yeah. all code is written by human beings. All human beings make mistakes. There are going to be bugs. Guaranteed, 100% certain. So the community can join in by simply playing with the tool as it's developing, which is also kind of interesting to see how software comes together in the real world, right? But as it's coming together, there will be problems. So people can contribute by simply logging an issue on GitHub. I tried to do this. It should have done this. It did this instead. That's very valuable. Right. Parallel to the code coming together, the documentation will be coming together because those two should evolve together. So while I may be quite comfortable writing JavaScript, my English is terrible. So a lot of the community can help out by making the docs clearer. At the very simplest level, it'll be full of typos, I promise you that. Uh, (laughs) But also, when I explain something, I may not explain it very well. There may be other people who can explain the same concept much better. And because of the magic of Git, no one can do anything destructive because we can always roll back. So people can just do a PR. And we can just merge in the best part of everyone's a pull request. Pull request, exactly. And so the documentation can come together. The testing can come together. And while in the very early stages of the code, I'm going to be writing the majority of the code because I want to establish a style for the project, a sort of a, this is how we'll name our variables. This is how we'll name our classes. But once that's been, once there's a couple of classes written and a couple of functions written, that should become obvious. I'll have tweaked the ESLint config. And at that stage, really, anyone else is free to jump in. And so people can, whenever there's missing features, other people can jump in and submit a function or two. And there's probably things I never even thought of that I probably would never get around to doing, but that would really make your life easier. Well, why why not submit that? 
right? Why does it only have to be the features I thought of? Why can't it be other people's features? Right? And then the other thing which I don't think people will think of immediately, but the soft skills needed to run this project are exactly the same as the soft skills needed to run any other project. So people can contribute to the community's learning by starting other projects. If someone has an itch to scratch, Mm. why not kick something else off and let's all just work together in the Slack on whatever else? Maybe you want to do a a real live website that you're actually going to publish to the web to do world clocks because, frankly, there's nothing out there at the moment that isn't plastered in ads and terrible. So maybe you want to do that as a real project and make it so that it'll run with, you know, a million people using it without crashing. That would be a substantial Mm. piece of work. You would get great value from bug testers, from people helping you with the UI. All the same things, right? The The testing approach that will work for my code will work for your code. The linting that will work for my code will work for your code. The node package manager for managing things that will work for my dependencies will work for your dependencies, right? It's the same skills. So rather than the Hmm. example always being the project I happen to be working on, why can't there be three or four projects going on in the community? It's the same tools apply. Yeah, yeah. That makes me think I'm I'm starting a new project right now, which is another case of something that I swear does not exist on the internet or in an app today and uh, that I've been able to find. And so I'm itching my own scratch. But maybe while I have 50 lines of code, three of which are working, I should start with that ESLint thing. That does seem like an opportune moment. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, and the chances yeah. are there's other people in the... It's not working anyway. <laughs> right. The chances are there's other people in the community who have itches to scratch as well. So now may just be a good time. And so one of the things I really, really, really want to plug is the Slack community you already have going. So that's Slack community... Podfeet.com slash Slack. Thank you. Let me say it again without Skype lag. Podfeet.com slash Slack. And there's a PBS channel in there. Yes. It's super active. Lots of fun. Exactly. It's already a fun place to be, but I'm hoping it doubles down in fun place to be because that can be where we start to do a lot more stuff together. So there's a lot of ways that we can do this to learn from each other and to make this a much more collaborative thing. So that will be much, much better for HSXA plus WD. And I think it's a good way for all of us to learn and to develop our skills in a very practical way. So I really hope the community gets stuck in and I think your Slack is going to be the heart of that going to be where the community live right your slack and my github those two places are going to be very central yeah yeah so that's kind of that's kind of where we stand for now so the next installment we're going to look a lot more detail into how we get from zero to milestone one and particularly what exactly are what exactly we need to learn why we need to learn it and to make some of those words a lot less fuzzy uh, packages, package managers, modules, that's all a bit fuzzy at the moment. That needs to be firmed up quite substantially. Would it be a dumb thing to do right now to uh, download XKPassWD or HSXKPassWD from GitHub and read your documentation? Not at all. It would be quite a smart thing to do. In fact, what you will find is that there's the Perl version, which is actually functional. Uh, the command line tool doesn't work on the Mac because 
as we said, there's a, it depends on a home right. uh, on a different module. But the actual core library is is fully functional everywhere. Um, there's also a an aborted attempt at a JavaScript port from a two or three years ago that doesn't yet use the proper modern ES6 JavaScript, and that's actually also worth a look, even though it's try it's trying to use promises but not depend on promises because at that time promises weren't universal enough and i wanted to use them but i couldn't commit to them i have decided i am committing to modern javascript i am not giving even a token concession to the old way of doing things and that code is just full of compromises but it's not it's not actually a bad place to look okay and so we'll put links to both those in the show notes indeed we shall Okay, well, that's sort of well. This I I feel like we 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 literally graduated and we're in graduate school now. Mm. This feels this feels very different. This is a phase two. We've got the foundational stuff, but now now we're doing it with with anger, as as uh, Don McAllister would say, doing it for real. That is actually a really good description. It is like the difference between being an undergraduate and a postgraduate. Yeah, yeah, I like that description a lot. Yeah, I like the description a lot. Excellent. Especially because it was graduations in the university last week. So, <laughs> Well, the other thing I like is what I've discovered in talking to people who are listening to Programming by Stealth is I think it's possible I'm the only complete noob to programming taking any of this. Because most people I talk to go, well, I already knew that, but I wanted to polish it up on this. Or I knew that, that in this language, but I wanted to hear Bart explain it in this other language. So... I sort of feel like every a lot of people were auditing the class. Well, now you're actually in the class with me because you because this is going to be taking it to a more advanced step, I think. Yes. And I think people in that sort of school are also going to get a lot of value from revisiting the concept of a linter, from revisiting the concept of modern package management. There's a, you know, Java, PHP yeah. 8 is very new. There's going to be a lot of people who know PHP but don't know PHP 8. So they're going to be very keen to to take the upgrade course. There's going to be a lot of people who are happy on Bootstrap 3 and 4 who are like, oh, I was going to spend time learning Bootstrap 5, but why don't I listen to Bart? So it's going to be a lot right, of that going right. on too, I think. I think so. So this might actually be something we can advertise to people to say, if you're already a programmer, this is a good place to jump in. Yes. Yes, actually, because you are now a programmer, right? That's the whole point of phase one. We got you to the point where you can describe right. yourself as a programmer, and you, you really can, right? You you can start a project entirely on your own and get to something that does something. That is programming. You are a programmer. Right. right. We won't put the word good in front of it yet, but maybe someday I'll get to that. Well, <laughs> I would say there's a distinction between a programmer and a software engineer. And it's some sort of a spectrum, right? It's not like one day you're a software engineer. Mm. Well, okay. It is true in terms of I now have a degree or something. But in reality, it's a spectrum between, you know, a hacker, a coder, a developer, a software engineer. Sort of like there's there's a spectrum there. And we're sort of, we're just moving along that spectrum. So more and more of a focus on the tools around the code and to help us design code that doesn't just work, but is maintainable, understandable, and that can live and evolve, right? Write once, run right. run once code is not good. If you want something to stay with you for a long time, it needs to be properly tended and cared for. And those skills, well, we're ready. Basically, we're ready for those skills. There's no point in teaching those skills when you don't know what an if statement is, right? How, how's that going to work? Right? <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm excited, Bart. This, this sounds like a really fun journey. Excellent. It sounds like a long journey. But it sounds like a fun journey. Well, if you remember back, right, 125 episodes ago, we had a long journey too. 
So think right. of it the way, get ready for the next one. Because it's basically another another yeah. leg in that same sort of scale. Same, we're biting off the same size chunk. <laughs> All right. Well, this is cool. I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. Well, until we speak again, happy computing. If you learn as much from BART each week as I do, I'd like you to go over to lets-talk.ie and press one of the buttons over there to help support him. He does 98% of the work here. I'm just the stooge that listens to him and asks the dumb questions. If you go over to lets-talk.ie, you can support him on Patreon, you can donate via PayPal, or you can use one of his referral links. I really hope you'll go over and help him out. In the meantime, you can contact me at Podfeet or check out all of the shows we do over there over at podfeet.com. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.